0: Uh, if you're here for the first time, my name is Andy, and uh, I'll just add that it's, it's great to have you here. And we, we've joined us in the middle of a series where we've been looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We're actually just pausing that just for this week, uh, in no small part because of the dedications. Um, but I'm going to talk, what I want to share on just for a few minutes this morning, is I want to talk about something I've been re- rediscovering, um, the goodness of God. I just want to talk about the goodness of God, and it is connected Um, as we'll see, to to everything we've been saying in the last few weeks as well. Um, One of the things that I've just been seeing time and again as I've read the Bible is the way in which it talks about how how God is, in his very nature, good. Uh, And and so when we understand it's part of his nature, it affects and changes in so many ways, the the way that we relate to him. Uh, it shapes our relationship. And so I'm always trying to think of illustrations. And, and Mike, to be honest, is my go-to, as you've probably noticed. And uh, just to illustrate it, Mike is, in his nature, Greek. It's not that he's Greek sometimes and not other times. Uh, he's, he's always Greek. And there are things that just come with the territory uh, for... for Mike because of the fact that he's Greek. So you'll have heard me mention before his, his love of food and his love of vast quantities of food. And so I know because I know in his nature he's Greek. I know how it works. So I'll say to him at his house one day perhaps, I'm feeling a little bit peckish. And he will say to me, do not move. I shall go and put a leg of lamb in the oven. <laughs> I, if we go to his house and there's, there's four or five of us, I know that there's going to be food enough for about 50 or 60 of us. Uh, his impact On my children is profound. Josiah, who's six years old, just uh, last week was talking to just a random stranger, just struck up a conversation with this this random lady. And uh, as part of the conversation, he just turned to her and said, my Uncle Mike says, there are only two things you need in life, Jesus and chocolate. (laughs) And... I'm not sure if he was witnessing to Jesus or chocolate, but he was doing one of the two. And it's just like, he's just Greek. He's Greek. He comes, it's just how it is. It comes with the territory. He doesn't turn it on and off. It's just his nature. Well, when we talk about God being good, it is his nature. He doesn't turn it on and off. It's who he is. And because of that, if we, if we grasp this, there are certain things that just come with the territory when it comes to approaching him. Uh, if we really understood, I think, just how good he is, then when we when we come near him, we'd come with confidence. And when we pray, as we've talked about um, just recently, about praying for people to be healed or or waiting for God to speak to us, we'd expect him to want to move because we just know in his nature he's good and so it comes with the territory. He doesn't turn it on and off. It's just who he is. Um, if I have a, a glass of water, you know, and somebody knocks the glass, then what's inside spills out. And obviously in this case, it's water. But if, if we're a little like glasses and somebody knocks us, then I don't know what spills out of you, but what spills out of me just depends on how I'm doing that day or that week. But sometimes it's grumpiness. Sometimes it's pessimism. Um, but if we were to knock God, what spills out of him is goodness. It's what's instinctive to him. So, so it says in the Bible in a few places that God is provoked to anger he has to be provoked to be angry, but it never says he's provoked to love because love is his default. Uh, he is in his nature good. And the Bible, in lots of places, it doesn't just tell us this like it's giving us a piece of information, it celebrates it. So, so in the Psalms, there are these, these songs that celebrate who God is, and, and people are just rejoicing about how good he is. So just to read you a few examples, it says in Psalm 86 Lord, You are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Psalm 107 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. One of my favourites, Psalm 34 verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And I wonder if, and perhaps this is just for me, when, when we hear that God is good, I wonder if sometimes the reason we fail to get excited about that is because it's been a little while since we've tasted and seen his goodness. And it's when you taste and you see that you get it. So again, I don't want to stretch this analogy too far, but sometimes if I take people to Mike's house for dinner, if they've never been before, you know, I'll turn to them in the car on the way and I'll say, you know he's Greek. You know he's Greek, right? And they'll go, oh, right, okay, yeah, you know, I didn't know that. And then there's no response, there's no reaction. And I'm like, why are they not getting excited? I told them he's Greek, they're not responding. And then the penny drops for me. It's because they don't know what the consequences of that are. They don't know what the implications are. Soon they'll realise. And then we arrive at the house. And we go in and the banquet is laid out across the table, taking up every inch of room. It's the roasted lamb. It's the macaroni da forno with the 10 types of cheeses. It's the stuffed vine leaves. It's the olives. It's everything. It's there. And it's like this, this, this feast is laid out. And then they sit and they eat it. They taste and they see that Mike is Greek. And then they get it. And in the same way, when we say to people or we tell ourselves God is good and we wonder why they're not getting excited about it, part of the reason for that is, is, is because they haven't tasted and they haven't seen. And um, I've been just kind of dwelling on, just in the last year or so, just some of the things about him that are so good. And savouring them, almost. Not just something, this isn't about something that goes in our heads only, but in our mouths as well, in our souls as it were. Here's, here's a few, just in the little time that we, we've got to talk about him. Here's a few things, ways in which the implications of his goodness work out in our relationship. Here's one. He, he's a father who never leaves us. That's one of the ways his goodness Affects us and shapes and it defines our relationship. He's a father who never leaves us. So we've got a friend called Joel who, um, who years ago now adopted a son called Michael. Michael was seven years old when he was adopted, and his life up until that point had been horrendous. And he'd been moved from foster home to foster home to foster home, never staying in one place for more than a little while. And uh, Joel adopted him, and he and his wife. Uh, they they noticed pretty quickly that Michael's behavior was actually exceptionally good. So Michael was always polite. He was always doing what he was asked. And people commented to to, to Joel and his wife about how well behaved their their adopted son was. Um, But Joel knew that there was something that was not quite right because he would put Michael to bed and then often in the evenings he would be passing his bedroom door and he would hear his son crying himself to sleep. Uh, inside. And it just really troubled him. And he said, one night after Michael had actually fallen asleep, Joel went in and he sat on the edge of the bed and he just looked at his son. And just as he's, he's looking at his little boy lying there fast asleep, it just hit him afresh, the pain that this child had been through in his life. Um, you know, everything that he'd experienced up until that point. And Joel just, just lost it. Um, he just started crying over Michael. And he actually, he actually woke him up and uh, he said, Michael woke up and he suddenly, you know, he saw his, his dad sitting there weeping. And Joel said that he gave him this look that was just almost like confusion and wonder at the same time. It was like, You're crying over me? You're crying these tears over me? And Joel said, In hindsight, that moment was like a turning point because they went, um, just a couple of days later, they went to McDonald's. And Joel said, What do you want to eat? And Michael said, I'll have a Big Mac and large fries, please. And Joel said, I'll get you the Big Mac, but I'll just get you a small fries because you're only seven and you probably won't eat it all. So he came back with a Big Mac and small fries. And Michael looked at the small fries and he got angry. He, th- he threw this little tantrum and he knocked the fries and they went all over the floor. And uh, Joel said when that happened and, he and his wife realised that this was the first bad behaviour they'd seen from Michael, they actually wanted to jump up and down and go, yes. They wanted to pick the fries up, put them back in the bag and say, do it again. Knock them off the table again. Because because they realized that Michael was starting to get it because his story and his background had meant that he'd, he'd lived with this fear that if I put a toe out of line, if I do something wrong, then that's it. I'm going to be moved on. I'm going to be rejected. And so he, he, as a consequence of that, the way he lived was, I have to be on my best behavior because if I'm not, they'll reject me. And then there came that moment where the penny started to drop for him that you're here to stay that you're not walking out on me. And when that, when that began to happen, he realized this is a safe place. And so what was really going on inside began to bubble up. And for us as followers of Jesus, one of the things that staggers me, doesn't it you, time and again, is that the imagery that the Bible uses to describe our relationship with God is that he is our father and we are his kids. His kids. Yes, we're his servants, and, and he is our master, but, but it's so much better than just that. It's like, he's, he's my father, and I'm his son. And the sort of father he is, is he he's a father who never walks away. And what's tragic, and I see it when I look in the mirror, what's tragic is that so many of us, we live a life a little like Michael did for a while, where we just we just constantly come back to, If we're not well behaved, he'll leave us. Have you ever felt that? If I don't do well and do all the things I'm meant to do, he's gonna turn his back on me. And so we live with this quiet insecurity in our relationship with him because we think it depends on our goodness. And the whole message of the Bible is that it's not about how good we are, but how good he is. One of the ways he reveals his goodness is he is a father who never walks away. A second way, and, and this has been coming home to me again recently, that, that he shows us how good he is. It just comes with the territory. is that he helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our moments of desperation. And perhaps we've got stories over the years where we've, we've tasted and we've seen um, the reality of the way that he helps us uh, we 've all got di- desperation of different forms. I remember one of mine, uh, one of my penny dropping moments on this one was when I, I was due to speak at oxford university i have been invited to go and give a talk there to the students uh, at Christmas about who Jesus was, and it was kind of intimidating, but I, th- I said yes. And then I was so busy, I hadn't had any time to prepare. And so I woke up on the morning that I was speaking in the evening and, uh, and thought, okay, here we go. I've got to write. And I don't know if you've ever sat down with a blank screen and a deadline and tried to be creative. But it did not happen, right? Whatever was, something went wrong and I was just banging my head off a wall for the whole day. But the other thing that I was also doing is I was, I was just asking God to help me really desperately and there was a psalm that I, I turned to, Psalm 71, where the psalmist is just crying out to God and he's expressing his trust in God. And although I didn't feel like I trusted God very much at the moment, I was reading the psalm aloud in hope that would help me. And it got to the point where I needed to drive to, to leave for Oxford and, and um, I said to Mike and Beth, I, I've got nothing to say. And there's going to be 800 students there. And they said, we'll come with you to support you. And I said, okay, you are allowed to come with me, but you must sit in total silence in the car. And they agreed. So we drove there, me stressing in the back, the two of them sitting in the front. <laughs> it was pretty awkward. And, uh, and then we arrived an hour and a half before we were meant to speak. And I said, please leave me now. I need to be alone. <laughs> and I went to the, the Sheldonian Theatre where I was speaking, and I went into this, found a toilet cubicle. And I sat in this toilet cubicle for an hour. And in between desperately trying to come up with something to say, I read Psalm 71 around multiple times. And then in the end, I couldn't, I just couldn't, nothing came. So I, I scribbled a few thoughts on the back of an envelope and uh, got up there to speak. And I had to say something. So I just talked. And, and in the end, um, it actually went all right, it actually went well. To my absolute shock, and I remember um, Beth and Mike were also very shocked because uh, they'd heard my preparation. And then, and then I went home just thinking, God, I'm so sorry I doubted you. And while um, the, the next day I got a text from my dad, and he texted me uh, the night before when I was sitting in the toilet cubicle, and said, because he knew I was speaking, he just said, I'm praying for you, and I've just got a picture of like the Holy Spirit resting on you and, and fear disappearing. And at the time, I thought, that's a lovely thought. Um, it doesn't feel like the Holy Spirit's anywhere near me, let alone in this toilet cubicle, but thank you. Um, and, uh, and then the next day, I, he said, how did it go? And I said, it actually went all right. Um, and I said, and you should check out Psalm 71. It's a good one. And he said, oh, that's, that's funny, because we prayed for you in chapel last night. Uh, he's, a, he's a vicar. He said, we prayed for you in chapel last night, and uh, we prayed for you by name, and we read aloud... Psalm 71. And that might not mean much to you, but to me, when I saw that, I started to cry. Because I was like, I was there in my toilet cubicle in Oxford, crying out to you and reading Psalm 71. And there was my dad and some others, unbeknown to me, praying for me by name and reading the very same Psalm. And it was just like the father just giving me another little reminder. You know I've, you know I've got you, Andy. You know I have. And in my fear and in my panic, I'd forgotten that he was good. And I forgot that it was all about him helping me. And in that moment, it was like I tasted again and I saw the reality of this is who he is. Here's a third way, final way that we'll talk about this morning for, where he, his goodness, you know, it just overflows into these things. His goodness means that he changes us. He changes us. I remember there's a guy who came up to me at the summer conferences that we used to run. And he said, I just want to tell you a bit of my story because um, my friends brought me along last year and I wasn't a Christian. And he told me his background. His background was that he'd had a really tough upbringing, Um, he'd seen his brother murdered when he was just 11 years old, he'd seen his brother stabbed to death and obviously that has affected him massively he'd been expelled from multiple schools he said i was just i was so angry and then these people brought me to soul survivor and he said for the first few days when there was a main meeting and worship was happening in the main meeting i would i would just leave i just couldn't stand to be in the place so i left and he would go and find a fence post and he would just punch the post repeatedly Um, to his knuckles were bruised and bleeding and then he would hide his his sort of damaged hands in his hoodie and come back in and just stand there and he said well towards the end of the conference I just came in one time and I just said to God he obviously got so desperate didn't have anywhere else to go he said God if you're real meet me and he said and he did it was like he just he showed up and he he wouldn't have used this phrase but he filled me with his presence and he said, all the anger, it was like it was just drained out of me. And I, the way that he described it to me is he said, I didn't really like it. He said, I know you're meant to enjoy meeting God, but honestly, the, the only emotion I'd known for so many years was anger. So it just felt weird that that had disappeared. And then he said, and ever since then, I've been different. And I loved it because he was with a group of mates who'd obviously seen the transformation and they were all standing there nodding, and going like, he's really different. He's really very, very different. You know, just really. And he was a youth worker now. And what happened is, he didn't just hear about the goodness of God. He, he met God, who is good. He encountered him. He tasted and he saw that the Lord is good. And this is what, we want to do as a family, and this is what we want people who come to, into our family from wherever they come from, to, to do is to encounter the goodness of God. Not just hear that he's good, but meet with the God who is good. And one of the things that, that can sometimes mean we struggle with this, I know for me it's been a challenge over the years, is it's, it's almost like he's too good to be true. You know, have you ever heard that saying, like, uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is? It's that sort of thing. We, We struggle to absorb it. And also because our relationships on a human level, even the very best of them, are just a shadow of his goodness. They give us a flavor. But even if we've got the best parents in the world and the greatest friends and our, you know, our partner, everything's great with them. Even with all of that, we know that people are broken and we're broken too. So that, that's our experience. And yet when we come to him, we really are meeting someone unlike anyone else who is in his nature love. And it's a very different thing to taste and to see. To go from hearing that there's a father who's committed to you to being wrapped up in his embrace and feeling his heartbeat and know his protective arms around you. To go from having uh, a need, a desperation, to then bringing it to him and seeing him actually meet it before your very eyes. To go from being broken and longing for change, to bringing to him our brokenness, and finding that he's more willing than we ever imagined, more eager than even we are to bring wholeness and healing into our lives. This is what he's like. And if we've forgotten it, the invitation for us from Jesus himself is to come if we're thirsty, and to come if we're hungry, and to taste and to see, once again, that the glorious truth is, God is good.